Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of Acts, whether you have a print version, maybe a digital version on your phone. Excuse me. Acts chapter 1. Last week we began the series on Acts, and you'll remember that we started in Luke uh, to give you the background a little bit of it. And so um, we saw that it was, uh, the letter was, or the gospel was written to a man by the name of Theophilus, and um, it was so that he would have certainty. Uh, you get the sense that Luke was trying to make a case, and, and it was a, an orderly account that he had gone through all the many eyewitnesses and went through them very carefully and interviewed and, and made a case so that they recorded it for a man by the name of Theophilus so that his faith would be strong and, and his doubts would be removed. Then later on, uh, we have Acts, where this is uh, volume two. This is the sequel. Uh, there is... Um, No other gospel writer that wrote a sequel. Uh, John wrote other works in the New Testament, but they weren't a sequel to his gospel. And so we have here a very unique situation where uh, Luke wanted to pick up his pen once again, and he wanted to write for the sake of Theophilus and so that his faith would be strong and that the case would be even uh, made even greater as as a result of Theophilus reading what what Luke was going to write here. Um, Acts is a, is a book about the foundation of the church, really, um, which all believers are part of. What I need to do is I need to explain here just for a second what I mean by that, because in the Bible we have this idea of the church where there's uh, a local church, like the church at Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, or Philippi, or, and as we go through the book of Acts, we're going to see uh, people, particularly the Apostle Paul, is going to be visiting locations, and churches are going to be starting in these places. As I mentioned, someone like uh, a place like Philippi, or Thessalonica, or Ephesus. So you have a local church. This church here would be considered a local church. It's, it's in Verona. There's, there's a specific spot, a specific, a specific space on this earth where this church exists. But in another sense, the church is universal. In another sense, the church is all believers because a church isn't building. Uh, the Bible is pretty clear that the church is comprised of people. Uh, we see this again in Paul's writing to the Ephesians of how that, and also in Romans, he talks about this, how that, that we are uh, built up together. And so in another sense, the Bible, when it talks about the church, it's the universal church. And so while we are a local church, this isn't the only church of Jesus Christ. There are many churches of Jesus Christ uh, all over the world. Uh, so wherever believers of Jesus Christ are gathered uh, in an organized way like this, that's, that's a church. And so uh, this is the foundation of both of those. We have the universal end of the church, but then we also have the local aspect of the church as well. So Acts is, uh, is a, a book about the foundation of the church, but it's also a transitional book. It moves the offer of the kingdom of, Is- the, the, the kingdom of God to Israel that we see in the Gospels, and it moves it to not the, Israels, uh, the Israelites, but to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul is going to discuss this in greater length in Romans, the book of Romans, but Acts is this transition book of where no longer has it been the kingdom offered to Israel, but it's being offered to uh, the Gentiles, those who are not Israelites. That doesn't mean that those of Israel cannot be part of God's kingdom. Um, it just means that the primary means of which God is working his plan, instead of working through Israel, that was the intention in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is now being moved to a different group of people. Uh, Matthew 21, Jesus says, therefore I tell you the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. He's talking to the Jews there. And so it will be given to a people producing its fruit. 
And so this is this this transition book. And so as we go through this study, we have to realize that there are going to be a lot of things that happen in this book that are transitional nature. And we may not see them necessarily today, but we see the effects of them or we see manifestations of it, but not quite the exact same thing. So as I mentioned last week, Acts is volume two. Okay, Acts is volume two of Luke's attempt to give certainty to Theophilus' growing faith. And as I also mentioned, Luke is the only one that does this, and so it's very unique, and it demands our attention. And so because this is the story of the beginning of the church, we are part of this story. Uh, this is a sequel. We are living an episode in the sequel. Uh, there's a, a, a church movement that's kind of out there, a group, uh, if you will, uh, an organization. It's called Acts 29. And uh, some people that are members of our church actually uh, used to be part of that. And there's, for the most part, it's a very good uh, uh, a network of churches and things like that. And, uh, but the reason why I think that's one of a, a really unique name for it is because there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. But they say Acts 29 because it's saying they're just continuing on uh, the story of Acts. And that's exactly what we're doing. And so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about how we are to live out the life in the episode of the sequel. So all of us are in this right now. We're, we're, we're living in this part of the sequel where this is the foundation for it. So what Luke is doing is he's going to begin to give us some instruction um, about that will be, or as he's given this historical account, it's going to be instructive to us of how we live this life. And so if I was going to summarize the message, I'd summarize it with this sentence today is this. As we live out our episode in Luke's sequel, we have assurances to remember, a mission to accomplish, and the power to do it. So as we live out our episode in Luke's sequel, we have assurances to remember, a mission to accomplish, and the power to do it. So I'm going to unpack that over the next few minutes. But let me pray and ask God's blessing uh, if I can right now. Father, What an awesome privilege it is to stand before my friends here and open your word and and discuss it. Um, I I truly don't believe I deserve it, but I'm I'm so grateful for it. And I pray that right now, as I begin to talk about this, that it would be helpful to the people who are listening, whether they're here in the building, in this room, in the gymnasium, or in their homes, or wherever they're at. Lord, I pray, Father, I pray that... um, that there would be a clear message from your word here. And I pray that I would communicate in a way that's helpful. I pray that I would communicate in a way that is clear. I pray that I would communicate that is accurate to the text here. I pray that I, I, I wouldn't speak outside of your word or outside of what you have. God, this is your message. This is your word. And, and we don't want to mess that up. I, I simply just want to just speak it and explain it and then hopefully make some relevant application. And so... We need your spirit for that. I, as a communicator, need your spirit to enable that. And then those who are listening need your spirit to to guide uh, truth. So may you receive all glory and honor. And may this be a helpful time for your namesake. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So I said, we have, a, we have three things that we're going to pack there. Uh, we have assurances to remember, a mission to accomplish, and the power to do it. First on the list for us today is that we have assurances to remember. Let me read Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
To them, he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up in heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that is the word of the Lord. You know, there's a lot in there. There is so much in there that we could talk about, and there's a lot of nuances that, that we could spend a long time just in this one text here. I've already alluded to a few things already about, you know, the church and things that we have, the idea of baptism of the Spirit. We have the idea of, you know, like, what's that about? We have this idea of the ascension. Uh, some people think that as soon as Jesus rose from the dead, he immediately went to heaven. Nope. We see here he stayed for 40 days on the earth, uh, showing that he truly was resurrected, showing that he uh, was doing things. He was eating with people. Uh, he was uh, teaching. He was uh, interacting with people. Later on, we're going to see in the New Testament that many people uh, were, uh, saw him and were eyewitnesses to his resurrection. And, and at the time of the writing of these books in the New Testament, they were still alive. And the New Testament author says, you know, there was, he appeared to 500 people at one time, and many of them are still alive. And so basically what the author is saying is, you can go check the story out. You can go see. And remember, we talked about that last week, about these proofs. And so these these assurances that we have to remember here is what he's talking about in the first few verses. He says he presented himself alive after his suffering with many proofs. And the reason why I bring that up again is because there's an overlap between how Paul, uh, excuse me, Luke begins this letter and then also, uh, or the, the gospel and then this historical book called Acts. And so there's an overlap there. And so he's emphasizing that there are proofs, that there are things that happen that people could verify that Jesus wrote from the dead. And that is a crucial point for us to be assured of because that is why we can have faith. Paul later on is going to say in the book of 1 Corinthians, he's going to say, if Christ is not risen from the dead, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are of all men most miserable, he says. He says that our faith, our pre everything is in vain, is worthless if Jesus isn't risen from the dead. And so this is the reason why Luke is taking time to give assurance that, listen, no, Jesus rose from the dead. But there's also an overlap on some of the things that at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And again, Luke is emphasizing certain things that happened so that we can have assurance that this story that is being told is true. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just a mythological story that would be helpful to us to get some uh, pithy lessons about life in. But Luke here is saying this actually happened. And I want you to consider that, Theophilus. 
And for you and I today, we need to be assured of this, that Luke's repetition when comparing these things shows what is most important. But it also brings up another idea is that we must rehearse what we know to be true because we tend to forget. And so he's, he's rehearsing truths and he's saying, I want you to remember this. I want you to, to know this. I want you to, to remember where you're at. I want you to remember the story because it's going to help strengthen your faith. And so if we, if we rehearse these truths that are here, it's going to combat doubt. It's going to combat despondency or even indifference is what Luke is saying here. And so as people who are living in the episode here, we're living out Acts right now, our own episode of this, we need to understand that there are assurances that we must remember and we must rehearse the story. Uh, l- let me ask you a question here. So think about this. What do... What does or do the what does the Brady Bunch, the Beverly Hillbillies, and Gilligan's Island all have in common? All right, you guys remember these shows? Some of you are here and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Okay, what do these three TV shows? What do they have in common? Well, that what they have in common is that they all rehearsed the story in the beginning of every episode in their song, right? How many of you right now are singing one of those songs in your head, right? Okay, you know those, those songs. I could sing them all to you right now. I'm not going to. I could, okay? You know, all three of these songs, if you think about it, every episode, it, 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 it began with saying, this is how we got here. This is how we got here. They, they never assumed that the, the viewer knew exactly what was going on. They reviewed the story every episode. And in the case of Gilligan's Island, there was even a second song at the end of the show, right? Okay. And so we have this, that they just, re, just continually rehearse the story. That's what we must do with the gospel story. That's what we must do. We must continually remind ourselves what we know to be true. So let me tell you ways that you can do that. Let me just give you a few simple words to remember this by. Creation, fall, redemption, return, and eternity. Those five words. Creation, fall, redemption, um, return, and eternity. That's the story that we're living out right now. That's the story, the gospel story. That's God's story on earth that he is is rehearsing for us here. And every one of them, if we review this each day, they have implications for how we live our lives. You say, how so? Let me show you. So we have this idea of creation, right? The first word there is creation. It means that God's all-powerful, and he has a design and a plan. Therefore, we can trust him. And so as I rehearse the story each day in my life in the episode of which I'm living, and I'm saying, okay, God's a creator God. He created this world. He spoke it into existence. I can trust him. He is all-powerful. He is a God of design. Things don't just happen haphazardly with God. He designs what is happening, and so we can trust him in that. Creation helps us live this day. We have fall. We read in the book of Genesis of how man fell. The man and women, uh, and woman, Adam and Eve, were given one rule to follow. And of course, you know the story. They didn't. And they fell. That's called the fall of man. They sinned. And what that did, according to Romans chapter 5, is that began, it introduced death into this world. And so uh, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so we have this, this great problem, this great sin problem that we can't solve. 
There's you and I, we cannot solve those problems. So when we're dealing with our sinfulness, we need to realize, okay, this is a problem that is beyond me. I can't just will myself to get better. I can't just pull myself up by the bootstraps, if you will, and just stop sinning. It doesn't work that way. And so we have creation, God's orderly. We have creation, God's powerful. We have fall. We have, I'm sinful. And there's a problem here that's separating me from God. But ah, then there's redemption. Beginning right in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we have this first plan of a redemption plan of how that one day there will be someone who comes from a woman who will crush the head of the serpent who tempted Adam and Eve that day. And all through the rest of the Bible, we see this plan unfolding. That's what we have all in the Old Testament, all the different ways that people tried to get to God and they couldn't get to God and all the different things. And then Jesus brings the gospel story of redemption and brings how that if we believe in him and he lived a life, this is the reason why he came to earth. This is the reason why he lived a sinless life. This is the reason why he had to come and be born on that first Christmas day was so that he could live as a human and fulfill the law that you and I couldn't fulfill. He, you you and I can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did. And Jesus did do that. And then he died in our place. And we believe in him. The deal is, if we, if we ask him to forgive our sins, the deal is if we ask him to, 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 to remove our sins, if we, if we follow him, the deal is all of his righteousness gets credited to our account. It's an amazing thing. And so as we live out this day, you know, we know that God in Jesus, has solved the sin problem. So when we're discouraged by our spiritual growth or the lack thereof, it's the Spirit of God pressing on us so we can go back to this plan of redemption. See, these are things we need to rehearse each day in the episode in which we live. And then, of course, there's a return. We look forward to Jesus coming back while we're fulfilling the mission that he gave to us. And so we, we need to, that helps us as we live this episode as we say, you know what, I'm not living primarily for Friday. I'm not living primarily for retirement. I'm living for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's going to shape how we live our lives. You see how we rehearse the story, just like the Brady Bunch talked in the beginning of every episode, how that family came together. Here, we rehearse the story each day to ourselves of what God is doing, and it keeps us on task and on target. And then, of course, eternity, that this life is not the end. It's only a preparation for the wonderful future. And so the story that we must rehearse, these assurances that we have to remember here, but the Luke here is telling Theophilus, you need to know these things. You need to remember these things. This is what's happened. This is the story that is going on. And so Theophilus, know that you can be assured of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we live our episode, as you live your episode today, these are the things that you must rehearse in your mind. This is the story not of a man named Jed, a poor mountaineer, barely kept his family fed. This is the story of you and me living out God's plan. It's an episode, and as we live, we have assurances to remember. Not only do we have assurances to remember, but then there's a mission that we have to accomplish. We see this in Acts here. Is he says, uh, first of all, he tells them, listen, I want you to stay in Jerusalem for a little bit. And then he says, he's preaching about the kingdom of God. Did you see in verse 3? It says, this is what he did for the 40 days. He was speaking about the kingdom of God. So 
This was important to Jesus, and it's important for us to remember that at the book of Acts, it begins with Jesus preaching about the kingdom, and the book of Acts ends with Paul preaching about the kingdom. We look in the Gospels, and we see that Jesus continues preaching the kingdom of God, and so over and over again, what we see is this idea of the kingdom of God, and we're told basically what we should be doing is living as citizens of the kingdom. This is our mission to accomplish. This is an aspect of it, if you will. You say, okay, what's the kingdom of God? Well, it's a little bit ambiguous in the New Testament, and we're going to get to there in just a few minutes here, but basically, it's the idea of being part of God's family and and fulfilling the mission that he has called us to do. But we need to live as if we're citizens of that kingdom and not citizens of this world. Um, uh, The Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, is they summarize this beautiful norms of the kingdom of God and describe what should characterize God's people. Let me read just those Beatitudes for you, if I can here. Matthew chapter 5, it says this. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, a couple years ago or so now, we did a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. You can probably find those sermons on our website if you're interested in studying that more in detail. But we'll say this, that these verses I just read, which is known as the Beatitudes, okay, uh, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' introduction that's recorded in Matthew, uh, we see there that he's basically describing what it's like to be a citizen of the kingdom. And this is how we ought to be living. This is what Jesus said. This is your mission to accomplish in this episode. You need to be merciful. You need to be meek. You need to be humble. You need to be a peacemaker. Did you see all these themes that are popping up here? This is what we are asked to do. This is what Jesus is saying. He's, he's preaching this kingdom. He's telling them this is how they should be living before his ascension. What I mean by ascension is when he goes up into heaven after his resurrection. These are those 40 days. This was his message that he wanted to preach to people before he went back to the Father in heaven. He wanted them to know that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. He inaugurated, he brought in the kingdom. It's not fully done yet. That will happen. So we're in an already not yet type thing with the kingdom. But this is how we ought to be living. And so we have a mission to fulfill. So we have this episode that we're living in right now. And Luke is saying, he's recording what Jesus wanted us to do. And that's to live as if we are citizens of the kingdom. But there's another part of it, and that is that we need to invite others to be part of the kingdom. This is what he talks about in verse 8. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, and he says, in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria, the end of the earth. And so this is the idea where he says, you, this is your goal, this is your mission that I'm giving to you before I go to heaven, you are going to be my witnesses. Instead of me always preaching about the kingdom, you need to preach about the kingdom now. I'm going to go to heaven 
And the Spirit of God is going to give you power. We'll talk about that in a second here. He said, but you need, you must continue this message. And the message goes out from the apostles here. And we're going to see next week or in coming weeks. In chapter 2 of, of an event called Pentecost, and I'll explain that in a couple of weeks here, but we're going to see how the, there is this, this gospel going out from Jerusalem, and it goes over to Judea, and this is what book, the, the book of Acts does. You could take Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and it could actually serve as an outline of the book of sorts of how the gospel, the message of the kingdom of God, is going to all these places. It starts in Jerusalem, goes through the Judea, Judea area, Samaria area, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth there, ending in Rome is what is recorded for us here. So this is that mission that God has given to the apostles and then it's being passed on to us to invite others to be part of the kingdom. And so the, the question is, are we in the kingdom? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, in one sense, we are because Jesus brought in the kingdom. But in another sense, uh, um, he hasn't returned yet to set up his reign. And we're still in the process of him building that. We're still in the process of him doing, uh, uh, of bringing people into his family. And so uh, we're in this kind of in-between, already not yet phase right now in the kingdom. It, it, it's much like our, our salvation is an already not yet. I mean, we can legitimately say that I am saved from my sins because if we ask Jesus to save us from our sins, the Bible is very clear that he gives us that assurance. But um, we're still living in the sinful world, right? We're still struggling with our sin. And so we could also legitimately say, theologically legitimately say, is I am being saved from my sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that to his letter of, that to Corinth. I am being saved. And so we're a work in progress. Then we could also say is one day I will be saved and we don't have to worry about this anymore. So it's this already not yet kind of ambiguous thing here that we are offering people, but we're offering people hope in Jesus Christ. While it may not be completely fulfilled right now, it will be when Jesus returns. And so the question is, is are you or am I living out our mission in today's episode of Luke's sequel here? Are we living as citizens in the kingdom? Is that a priority for us? Or do we just kind of get up and with no thought, we're not rehearsing anything, we're just reacting to life circumstances? Or are we uh, people of God saying, no, we need to live as God's citizens in his kingdom? Are we inviting others to be part of that kingdom? Perhaps some of you are listening, maybe online in this room or in the gym. Maybe you say, I don't even know about being in God's family or God's kingdom. Let me just tell you, you can know that you are in God's family by just simply believing in Jesus Christ and asking him to save you for sins. And understand, there's nothing that you and I can do to solve this problem. It's all in Jesus Christ. And so here's me inviting you to be part of the kingdom. And so who are you inviting to be part of the kingdom? Who are you inviting to be part of God's covenantal family? You say, well, man, living as a citizen of the kingdom and then uh, inviting others to be part of the kingdom, that sounds like a lot of work and it sounds exhausting. And it is. It's not easy. I'm not going to lie. But this brings us to our final point. We have the power we need to do it. This text shows us that. This text shows us that there was a promise given Jesus tells the apostles not to leave Jerusalem. Did you see that in verse 4? This is another one of those things that Luke records at the end of his gospel, and then he records it again here, emphasizing the importance of it. He tells the apostles, don't leave Jerusalem until what he says, the baptism of the Spirit. We see this in verse 5. John baptized with water. 
John the Baptist baptized with water. He says, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's going to happen in chapter 2 to these people here. But that brings up a question. What is the baptism of the Spirit? Well, before I answer that question, let me just say that we, when we're interpreting the Bible, there's a caution we need to have. Is this text of Scripture that we're looking at, is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? That's a question you must always be asking. And, and given that the book of Acts is a historical document, we're more likely to say it's descriptive rather than prescriptive. Now, having said that, what I mean by that, descriptive just saying this is what happened, right? With no, uh, no uh, intention of a command given to it. So, for instance, when we read stories of war in the Old Testament, that is not a prescription for necessarily for foreign policy or for how we handle church business meetings, okay? All right? Um, that's, 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 that's just descriptive, telling what happened, right? Okay? Uh, but other texts, there's commands given, there's imperatives given, and so it's more uh, prescriptive of what we should be doing. Acts, as I said, is more of a historical document. And so as we work through some passages, this distinction is going to be very important to us that we got to keep in our minds as we're trying to properly and rightly interpret the scripture is that, that this was something that is being told will happen. So he says this will happen to the apostles. So the question is that we have to ask ourselves is do we take that for ourselves and say that we too must wait before we receive a baptism of the spirit? Well, let me explain with the baptism of the Spirit, and then we'll get an answer to that question here. The baptism of the Spirit in Acts is when it's a, it's a, it's a publicly united church, uh, and I, I worded that really badly, I'm noticing here. Um, when the baptism of the Spirit happens in Acts, it publicly united the church as God's people, regardless of race or socioeconomic background. However you can make that sentence make sense to you in your head, go for it, okay? Uh, because it's, I, I worded that pretty poorly there. But the idea is this, is that the baptism of the Spirit, okay, is in the book of Acts, it happens in four texts, chapter 2, uh, chapter 8, uh, chapter 10, and chapter 19. That's when we have this outworking of the Spirit of God in an outwardly manifested way to show that God was approving of the furthering of the gospel message to yet another group of people. Okay, so we have in chapter 2, it's going to be all the believers who are right here in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, we're going to see that it's going to be the Samaritans. In chapter uh, uh, 10, we're going to see it's with a, a man and his family by the name of Cornelius, and he's a Gentile, okay? So then we're going to have uh, later on the apostles of John who've come from all over the ends of the earth. That, and so we're going to see this working out from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. We're going to see this working out of this called baptism of the Spirit. It was something where God was saying he's putting on what this church is, this establishment called the church. Okay, so what I'm saying is this is not something that we sit in our living rooms and say, okay, I'm not going to go live as a citizen of the kingdom until I get this baptism of the Spirit. No. The Bible teaches that over as we're in Christ, there's an indwelling work that happens in us. But this baptism, that was something that happened in a very significant and special way in this transitional book that we talked about here. So this is when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, and these manifestations marked the approval, as I've mentioned, to these different groups of people. Um, this is what was descriptive has already happened to the church. 
Having said that, the Spirit of God still plays a vital role in our lives. Uh, you, you've heard me pray just a few minutes ago as we began the sermon. We need Spirit of God to help me understand, to help me to communicate in a way. And so, um, the significance of living or walking according to the Spirit is a command. Galatians chapter 5 says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk is a command there in that verse. It's an imperative and therefore it's prescriptive saying we need to live according to the Spirit. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is that the Spirit of God, it empowers God's people to obey all of God's commands and fulfill their mission to share the good news of God's kingdom in all the earth. This is an indwelling work that God gives to his believers, of his followers, so that we can do what is right. Because apart from him, we can do nothing, is what the Bible is really clear about. So let me illustrate it this way. Think about maybe when you're a child and a Christmas morning, and you got a gift from your parents, and you wanted to play with this gift, and you opened it up, and then you realized something that your parents did not realize is that batteries are required. And there's a phrase on the box, batteries are not included, right? That's happened. And so you got this toy, this brand new toy, this thing you want to play with, whatever it is, and you can't play with it because there are no batteries. Conversely, yesterday I was at Home Depot and uh, my family was, we were picking up some stuff. And while Isaiah and I were waiting on the girls for something, um, we were looking at uh, some flashlights. And uh, he was looking, I was looking at it. And I looked at one and it was, it was this massive work light. And I was surprised to see, it said on there, it says, batteries are included. I was like, well, that's good. They give you batteries with it. That's good. You don't always see that. But the significance of it is that flashlight was ready to go. All the power needed to make it shine bright was already inside. And that's the same with us. The same with the Spirit of God in our lives. Is, is that that's what the Spirit of God does for us. It gives us the power to obey God. Now, there's, there's a way that we need to make those decisions to obey, but we have to be relying on the Spirit. And we have to be asking God's Spirit to guide us and to teach us and to, to work through our conscience. And so the power that we need to live as citizens of God's kingdom and to invite people into the kingdom, as we live out this episode of Luke's sequel here, that power is already within us if we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so, as I conclude, let me just, well, first before let me tell you that we need to live out the Sermon on the Mount, as I told you, in the Beatitudes. And that may seem difficult, and inviting people into the kingdom is difficult, but we need to ask God each day for sensitivity to the Spirit's guidance. So I'm going to bring this to a close. I need to give a caution, though, quickly before I, I finish. As we talk about living out the episode of the sequel, don't get too, too distracted. There's two ditches to avoid in, while we're trying to live out this episode of the sequel. And we see this in our text. First it says, in verse 6, it says, when they came together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
Remember, it was taken away, and, and this is what they all thought. They all thought that when Jesus came, he was going to be Messiah. He was going to overthrow the Roman rule, and that's what they were waiting for. That's what they were looking for. That's what they were anticipating, and so that's why when it didn't happen, they were shocked. They were amazed. They were disappointed. They were uh, uh, befuddled, and so when Jesus dies and he ri- rises again, they're like, okay, now it is. Here it is. Now you're going to do this. Now we're going to have the kingdom on earth. Now we're going to have what is rightfully ours. Israel is going to get what we deserve and what we've been waiting for, right? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about that. You see, they were on the one ditch, they were too earthly focused. They were too focused on what was going to happen in this life. They were too wondering about how that they were going to get what they deserve in this life. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. So that's the first ditch to avoid being too earthly focused. But then, seemingly contradictory, there's the other ditch to avoid, and that's being too heavenly focused. Did you see this in verse uh, uh, 9? It says, And when they said these things, they were looking up. He was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of the sight. And they were gazing into heaven. And then two men, two angels, they appeared to him, and they say, Why are you looking up in heaven? Jesus is going to come back. He's basically saying, don't, don't be standard. you got stuff to do. Do you remember he told you you need to do something? Don't be just standard or gazing into heaven. So here Luke records for us two ditches to avoid, being too earthly focused and being too heavenly focused. Now, how do we live in that sweet spot, in that road right in the middle? Again, Luke helps us. It's by remembering the promise of his return. Did you see that? This Jesus that was taken up from heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. You see, the reality of Jesus' return, it frees us from making too much on earth, or too much of earth, since we know that this is not our final life. But yet, it also frees us from ignoring our earthly responsibilities by being too focused on heaven. Jesus will return when the time is right. We won't miss it. You don't have to worry about that. Therefore, we can stay on mission until he comes back. And so, the hope that I leave you with this morning is the promise of Jesus' return. Jesus is king. He's coming back. And he will set all things right. All the craziness of the world, it will be set right. And so what do we do during that time? Do we wring our hands and do we worry about all that's going on in life? No. We live as citizens of the kingdom. We show mercy. We show love. We show grace. We show uh, a kindness to people. And we invite them to be part of God's kingdom. This is why we're here. And then when the time is right, Jesus will come back. And when the time is perfect, Jesus will return. And then we get to eternity. Creation, fall, redemption, um, return, and then eternity. That's the story we must rehearse each day. He's coming back. I haven't given you homework in a while. Let me give it to you, and then we'll pray. Let me encourage you to memorize that creation, fall, redemption, return, and eternity as a way to assure yourself that God is working his plan even when doubt, despondency, or indifference threaten your joy. Okay? Just remember to rehearse that story. That's the story we must rehearse. Uh, let me also encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7 this week. That might be helpful to you as you're thinking about what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom, Matthew 5 through 7. And then, finally, let me encourage you to start each day this week asking God to help you follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we could spend looking at this first part of Acts. I pray it's been helpful. I pray it's been instructive. And Father, we we love you, and we're thankful that as you are working this plan, um, it is for uh, your glory and for your honor. And we, Father, we ask that um, uh, we would live as citizens of the kingdom. Father, I pray that 
we uh, would be inviting people, staying on mission. So help us not to be too distracted by what's happening around us, but yet at the same time, help us not to be so uh, engrossed on heaven that we're not fulfilling our responsibilities. May the return of Christ, may that give us the calibration that we need to live out this episode of Luke's sequel. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.